That's cool. First time I've seen it. Um, we're going to look at Acts 1 this morning. Our next one will be Acts chapter 2. Excuse me. I don't know why I said Acts. Did I say Acts? Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And then our third one will be in John chapter 1. And then we'll have our, our candlelight service. will be a really shorter message on hope. So if you have your Bibles, and I'm assuming that you do, I know most of you do. If not, we have them on the back. Just put your hand up. We'll get you one or your device. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read from verses 5 through uh, 17. And then I also want to go back to Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, the last two verses there that connect to this. So let's, let's go. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judah, Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Now there were 24 groups of these, so they, they were on duty two times a year for one week. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. They were old. And so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now this, due to the number of priests, this would be the only time in his whole life that he would be given this privilege. And, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not fear, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. I'm interested, I'm wondering, I wonder if he stopped praying for that. But God heard his prayer a long time ago, it seems. And, and here, so, he, so then Luke gives us six things. He says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So that whole rejoicing. 2 verse 15, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. 3, he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. 4, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice, even from his mother's womb. And then in verse 16, number 5, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And then verse 17, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So in Malachi, if you have your finger there, just go back, uh, turn left out of the Old Testament, last book in uh, the New Testament, last book in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, beginning in the last two verses of Malachi 5 and 6. Malachi 4 verse 5 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now in, in Luke, he says he will, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So there's a type here, the, the kind of prophet that John the Baptist would be. So let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. We've read maybe some of us these stories so many times. But Lord, they are life. They're your work in the history of the world to bring about your purposes and your promises. And so we love your word. We thank you for it. I ask, Lord, the things that I prepared, you would break them fresh. 
Holy Spirit, you said, Jesus said, you said they, he would teach us all things, bring to remembrance all things that you said, commanded us. So Lord, we need to be reminded. We need to be encouraged. We're looking at the thrill of hope. Lord, that you would renew us or even brand new to anyone here, that rejoicing that is ours in the hope that we have in you, Lord Jesus. So bless, I pray this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So the thrill of hope, this line caught my attention as a title for this series, and I loved it. I just love just the thrill of hope. Now, uh, some of you are a little more emotional than others. I, I tend to be a little bit both ways. But that whole word, the thrill of hope. Are you thrilled at the hope that you have as a believer? Now, let me say this. You can't have that thrill if you're not a believer. The same thrill we're talking about here. So this whole thrill, a thrill of hope, it comes from a familiar Christmas hymn called O Holy Night, originally written by a French poet and author, Placid Capot, I think you say it. Near the end of 1843, a church organ in southern France was renovated. Even though Capot showed no interest in religion, but was asked by the parish priest to write a Christmas poem, which he did. And it's this one. Shortly thereafter, a French composer, Adolf Adam, wrote the music. So, O Holy Night reflects on Jesus' birth and the redemption of humanity. It has some wonderful, solid biblical truths in it. So, that's where the title comes from, as probably many of you know that. Let me give you the first verse. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. Now, I thought, well, I'm not sure that's so. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But compared to what we see, they probably were really bright then. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Accurate. He was born at night. Long lay the world in sin and error. And it has this word, pining, which is not a tree. It means aching and grieving. So, the world, long lay the world in sin and error, grieving, uh, aching, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I love that. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that if you will believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He loves you. And the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. How true is that? For yonder breaks a new glorious morn, which is referring to the day spring on high in verse 78 of Luke chapter 1, the dawning. Fall on your knees, O hear the angels' voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night divine, O night divine. Amen. The word hope is commonly used to mean wish. So I hope the Seahawks beat the 49ers today. <laughs> I hope the Huskies win the Rose Bowl. I hope the Seahawks win the Rose Bowl. Well, that's just a wish as far as I can tell. <laughs> I hope so. But the hope I have in God is not a hope so. It's a no so. Can I hear an Amen. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Our hope is a no-so because my faith is in the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. My hope not only desires something good in the future, my hope expects it. 
My hope is, conf is, is a confident expectation. I am fully convinced that what God has promised, he is also able to perform. My hope is not in fables, be they old wives' fables, Jewish fables, or cunningly devised fables, which are mentioned in the, each of them in the Bible. My hope is in the facts of God's revelation of himself because God cannot lie. In fact, the Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. My hope is anchored in the powerful, living, and active word of God, in the prophetic word of God made more sure as a light that shines in the darkness, the Bible. But ultimately, my hope is in the word of God made flesh and dwelling among us. My hope is in Jesus Christ. He is my hope, the son of the highest, the son of God, the promised Messiah. Messiah. He is the savior of my soul. My faith in Jesus is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. Romans puts it this way, Paul, for we were saved in hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does someone still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, listen to what he writes, we eagerly wait for it. It's coming with perseverance. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So we're waiting eagerly. It's going to happen, but we need perseverance. We live in a wearying world, but we have a hope outside of this world. So my prayer in preparing for this series is as, as we read again the old, old story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, of Mary and Joseph, of the angel Gabriel and the shepherds, of the babe lying in a manger, of the son of the highest, the son of God, the savior of the world. As we read, my prayer is that this old, old story of Jesus and his love, that the Holy Spirit will impart to each of us either a brand new or a renewed rejoicing in God, our Savior. Amen. Amen. The thrill of hope. Celebrating the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Listen, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Paul the Apostle said it and prayed it best. Romans chapter 15. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Verse 15, his prayer. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our bank two verses as far as this study, this series. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing that you may abound in hope. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So a weary world rejoices. First of all, why? The silence is broken. Number one, the silence is broken. In Luke 17, we read that prophetic word from Malachi. There had been some 400 years between when the Old Testament writings ended, Malachi, and the New Testament writings begin. A time when God was silent. There were, these were, are called the silent years. I love what J. Vernon McGee says. He says this, quote, After Malachi had spoken, 
heaven went silent. Station G-O-D went off the air. Love that. So God was silent. But listen, God was not and is never static. God was moving history, his story, along. In preparing the world for his promised next move in sending a savior. Jeremiah said this, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now he's speaking to a captive Israel. It's no different to us in knowing Christ. He wants to give us a future and a hope. A lot of things happen in 400 years. Would you say amen to that? A lot of things happen in four years. A lot of things happen in four months. (laughs) And the older I get, it seems like a lot of things happen in four minutes. I just can't remember them. (laughs) When the Old Testament closed, the Medo-Persian Empire was in power. When the New Testament opens, Rome's Rome's powerful iron grip ruled the world. When Jesus was born king of the Jews, Caesar was the king of the world. Israel is now a totally different nation. They were a different culture, very different institutions, and very unfamiliar organizations. Synagogues were new places of worship where social activity happened and we're all over the country now. Hebrew was still spoken in the synagogues, but Aramaic was the street language. Religion was now corruptly political. You had many groups vying for position and power. And so we read about the Herodians. They were the politicians. They were backed by Rome itself. We read the Pharisees. That was the dominant religious party. They were the strict legalists. You have the Sadducees that were made up of the wealthy and socially minded. They were the liberals. You had the scribes who were the professional expounders of the law, dating back really to the days of Ezra, but had changed. They were hair splitters. They were concerned more with the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. So God was silent, but listen, God's not static. He's always working, as we looked at even in Job. But also, God's silence does not mean God's absence. God's silence does not mean God's absence. For 400 years, God's people, the nation, had moved progressively and further and further away in their hearts from God. Things were not getting better. They were growing worse. We can say the same thing in all the years that have followed. The world is sinking deeper and deeper and further and further away from God. God's silence is not his absence. God's silence, I believe, is his mercy. God's silence is his mercy. Why do I say that? God did not destroy Israel. God did not abandon Israel. Nor has he yet the world to bring it to the culmination God was not giving them the silent treatment so he could get back at them. Now, we do that all the time. What God was doing, as he had always done, was preparing for a time when he would speak to them again. Preparing for a time when he would get their attention again. 
Happened over and over. It's going to happen again and it will happen again. I remember it well. The day when God got my attention again. I had many silent years. I wasn't wanting to hear God speak. I wasn't listening to him for him. And I wasn't giving him the time of day. A time when God was not in all my thoughts. As I went about my life. The whispers of the pleasure of sin. Did a thorough job of silencing the voice of conscience. As it always does. My selfish desires ruled my choices. And none of the other ones that were contrary to it was I interested in. I was answering to only three people. Me, myself, and I. That was the life I was leading. But when I least expected it, God got my attention. You see, and that's his mercy. That's his mercy. I remember well that day, that hour, that minute, that second. We're on a tennis court in Virginia, high on marijuana. God got my attention. He broke into that silence, loud and clear. The fear of God and the fear of hell itself gripped my conscience while God took and his love gripped my soul. I knew I had to make a choice. I chose God, and I've never regretted that choice. I've never looked back except to look back to that one sacred moment when I experienced the tender mercies of God. And then following, looking back and realizing all the way my Savior was with me. All the way he was preparing me for that day. And I do believe, I'm not, I can't, I made the choice to follow God, but I also believe it's a sobering thing to consider. When you come up to that choice and you know you have to make a choice and you choose to walk away again from God. If you're here today and that's you, may I give you the urgency of the heart of God to you. He loves you. He's not breaking into your silence to ruin your party. He's breaking into your silence to make him who you need him to be in your life central to everything that has anything to do with hope. It's in knowing him, the only true God. So dear friend, brother and sister, God may seem silent, but God is not static in your life. God's silence does not mean God's absence in your life. God's silence may well be God's mercy for your life. And he's a merciful, gracious God. So the silence is broken. You must make a choice. Choose God, you will never regret it. Rather, the tender mercy of God offered to you in Jesus Christ will change your life for good and forever. Amen. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be standing here today. It's true in my life. It's true in most of our lives. God is the difference maker as far as hope. And having any kind of hope, never mind the thrill of hope, is foundational and central in this life that you live to know the God who created you. And he's the God of hope. 
and he wants to fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So number one, the silence broken. Secondly, a weary world rejoices. A nobody is somebody. Amen? A nobody is somebody. Here's this old, lovely, and godly couple, Zacharias, a priest, and Elizabeth, his barren wife, that God chooses, seemingly again out of nowhere, to play a pivotal role in his plan to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When Gabriel showed up, Zacharias didn't believe him. That's the mercy of God. In that he used him anyway. And God does that many times. Zacharias didn't believe him. And his doubtful Elizabeth did either. Until her body started telling her else, else, something else. And so we read verse 24. After those days his wife Elizabeth conceived. Luke 1, 24. And she hid herself five months. Saying. Not because of shame. The Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Can you imagine the joy in her heart as she's just considering things? Just in her home. And now we have that couple. Now we have this young virgin. Lovely. Godly. That God also chooses seemingly out of nowhere to bear his son to the world. I look at these are almost nobodies, but they're somebody. And so are you, and so am I. When God decides to do something in your life, it's because you are to him somebody, not just nobody. And that's what he does. And thankfully, he works with all of our unbelief and all of our questions because he wants to answer them for us. And so in verse 26, now in the sixth month, that would be of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now notice, it doesn't say blessed are you above women. Among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Mary was a thinker, as you look in the scripture. She was thinking stuff through. Now, she had no distorted view of herself. She says there, she's considering this, what? Me? Of the millions and millions of young virgins, God chose her, a nobody, to be somebody. And she's a thinker. She's wondering about it. She's asking intelligent questions. She's wondering, you know, God's not going to violate his law. I'm not going to have any relationship sexually until I marry. So how can this be? The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. We can't put ourselves in Mary's place, but I'm telling you, she's having her mind blown right now. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be 
impossible. You got to banner that over everything you do. With God, nothing will be impossible. Mary could no more understand the, incar- the, the virgin birth, the incarnation, and ne- neither as we can't. God overshadowed. That means that it's the presence of God overshadowed. The power of the Holy Spirit. That incarnation, the, 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 the conceiving without a man involved, humanly. But, she couldn't understand that neither could we. But, she did believe that with God, all things are possible. That's the truth. The angel of the Lord came to Abraham and Sarah, the same kind of situation. But they're, and they're both old. God told Abraham, Sarah's going to have a son. So he visits him and says, hey, she's going to have a son. And she's behind the curtain going, yeah, right. Ha! That, that'll never happen. The angel says, now, Sarah, why did you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. I because she was afraid. But the answer said, with God, nothing's impossible. Even to that extent, but it goes a lot further than that. God raises the dead. There's nothing that God can't do. In this case, the conception, miraculously. God told Jeremiah the prophet the same thing. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Jesus, on the question of salvation, said to his disciples, The things which are impossible with men, salvation, are possible with God. Then Mary said, verse 38, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So here's Mary, not understanding how, but believing God can, and she just received. She is a very humble young lady, maybe even as young as 16 or 17, receiving this from the Lord. Let us note that rejoicing that came from the hearts of these two nobodies, knowing now they are somebody. We're trying to be somebody, but now God has spoken to them. He's going to do something in through their lives. They, now they join together in celebrating these things that they believe. Look at verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days, went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah, entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that, my, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb, listen, for joy. Even then, joy. Blessed is she who believed For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. This passage is a personal one for me because there was a time, I used to do printing, offset printing, several years ago. If you ever want to, you know, sort of get mad, just go and try and print. (laughs) And the things I was trying to print on. And I would get so frustrated. And so one day I'm in the, at the print, printing press and, you know, it's toning up, and, and it's just not working. And I'm trying to fix it and trying to fix the water level and all that stuff, and nothing was working. I got so mad. I took that printing machine, and I started shaking it. <laughs> no one else is in there, mind you, because if they were, I would not have done that. But I was just so out of my mind, really. I was just so mad. I'm shaking that multi-lift 350. <laughs> and I had the, the radio going. And on came a song. These are the lyrics. 
It's like this moment, again, just like when the Lord spoke, this moment, God got my attention again. He who, has done, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And I just wept at that printing press. Now, it didn't fix the printing press. <laughs> but I'll tell you what it did. It fixed my heart. It fixed my gaze again on Jesus. It was, it was glorious. You see, he has mercifully regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. It's the mercy of God. Somebody to God. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see, it wasn't dragging God down to Mary's level. It was lifting Mary up to God's level. Holy is his name. That's what happens in the presence of God. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has the same mercy for all who will fear him, reverence him, come to him, knowing their need for him, knowing they're deserving differently, but God is merciful. This strikes me as this, in these next few verses. To choose to reject his mercy is to bring on yourself his judgment. Only he can forgive because Jesus came as the mercy seat. And he bore all the wrath of God. He satisfies the justice of God. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he releases the mercy of God. And so if we think we don't need mercy, we are wrong. We need God's mercy, not giving us what we deserve. In rejecting the mercy of God, notice verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their throne and exalted the lowly. That's his mercy. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his, what? Mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to the seed forever, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So there's this other little brief story of Jesus when he's 12 years old in Luke. But other than that, really, it's two or three decades now that there's silence again in a sense. There's this anticipation about Jesus and John the Baptist, but they didn't come on the scene for nearly 30 years later. So, again, there's this, I think, a little bit more anticipation, particularly in the homes of these guys. So, a weary world rejoices. The silence is broken. A nobody is somebody. So, way back then, 2,000 years plus, or 200 years when this song was written, as today, we live in a weary world. I want to talk about that a little bit. Satan holds sway over this world, so it's no wonder. Sin is a hard taskmaster, so it's not, no wonder that we live in a weary world. But listen, we live in a world that Jesus came into as the light of the world. We live in a world that Jesus came as God's one and only hope for all of mankind. That includes you and me. Jesus' birth reminds us that there's always hope in a weary world. Always. The fact is, until Jesus comes again, it's going to be a weary world. We're going to have troubles. We're going to wrestle with suffering. 
Our joys will be restrained by grief and loneliness and loss. But listen, Jesus is coming again. We must accept, this is Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope, unquote. There are so many things that weary us. I'm weary in watching my loved ones make bad decisions or foolish choices. I'm weary watching my country disintegrate before my eyes. The world we live in is so much different today than it was just 10, 20, 30 years ago. Things change all the time. It seems it's on a rapid pace of deteriorating change. Some of you may be aware of a report that came out this week. U.S. life expectancy drops. For the second time in three years, life expectancy in the U.S. has ticked downward. In three reports issued Thursday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention laid out a series of statistics that revealed some troubling trend lines, including rapidly increasing rates of death from drug overdoses and suicide. CDC Director Robert Redfield put it this way, described the data as, quote, a wake-up call that we are losing too many Americans too early and too often. Suicide rates are the second most common cause of death from ages 10 to 34. In other words, younger adults have, lar- have, have largely been hit hardest by these statistics, these truths. Another guy, Magoo, said, quote, We're seeing the drop in life expectancy not because we're hitting a cap for the li- for lifespan of people in their 80s, We're seeing a drop in life expectancy because people are dying in their 20s and 30s, unquote. Weary. And with that then also came before me this week. uh, This whole, I started, you know how that is, you get one, you want to read about other things. As far as the millennial generation. Philip Perry wrote in in BigThink.com, quote, Millennials are experiencing higher levels of anxiety, depression, and thoughts of suicide than generations past. Many reasons have been offered but not definitive until now. A new study finds that this generation carries much higher levels of perfectionism. Forever striving for self-improvement, excessively high personal standards, overly critical self-evaluators, striving to reach impossible standards, resulting in feeling overburdened. Millennials are experiencing all of these three types of perfectionism that he notes here. One, self-oriented perfectionism. An irrational need for oneself to reach overly ambitious goals. Secondly, socially prescribed perfectionism. Pressure from others to reach the impossibles. Third, others-oriented perfectionism, which is unrealistic expectations of others. Social media is a huge contributing factor. Now, I'm I'm not anti-social media, but I think we need to be very seriously thinking through some things. I've read several books now on neuroplasticity, the operation of the brain and nervous system and the brain itself. And reading, I've read several because I I myself, as well as I'm seeing this, this inability, debilitating to focus 
and myself, and just, and so I started reading several books on, on it. So I'm not anti-social media. I think it has a great place. It's powerful. It's good. But I'm going to encourage you, maybe exhort you, think about what you're doing when it comes to social media and your responses, maybe even unconsciously, as to how you're living your life, how you're thinking about yourself, how you're thinking about the world. What we need is to be giving a lot more time to God FaceTime than Facebook. If you keep comparing yourself to other people, you will wear yourself out while you're beating yourself up because you, brought the wrong, you bought the wrong room monitor for your child. Or that, that thing of yours is not the best in the world. Or you're embarrassed to put, put a picture of yourself up. You young parents, are you buying into impossible goals? The chances are slim to none that you'll be able to retire at 35. <laughs> Working hard leads to promotion. And listen, promotion takes time. That's reality. Here's what I say to you and to myself. Find your identity in the love of God. Amen. Not in what you look like, or everyone tells you you should look like. Find your identity in, your, in the love of God for you. Thank God for what he has given to you. And I say build those relationships and build with those things that you have. Not striving for something you think will, will answer. It won't. The eye, of my, the eye of man is never satisfied. So build on those relationships. Build on those things. The world would have you building on impossible expectations and empty dreams. It's going to ruin your hope. God is the God of hope. Now, I also thought weariness also can be connected to your lack of doing something new. You're in the old grind. And you don't want to take that step again and try something new. Try something challenging. On this report, he ends with this statement. Truth is, there is no such thing as perfectionism or perfection. And we learn far more from our failures than we do from our successes. So instead of trying to be perfect... It might be best to perfect how to learn from the times we come up short, unquote. I say, yes, a new challenge. And I hope I never lose at least the desire in my heart to do new things. Not sitting around yawning and I'm bored. My life, I'm just going to live out the rest of the day and just decline into uselessness. I say, take it on. Try something new. Don't be afraid to fail. Be afraid to not try, to not try. God gives us every year of our lives, every month of our lives, every week of our lives, every day of our lives, every hour that we might be actively engaged in relationship with him so that our lives can be actively involved in relationship with people. The final thought, his promises are all true. 
The weary world rejoices. The silence is broken. A nobody is somebody and all of his promises are true. So Elizabeth's full time, verse 57, came, seven came for her to be delivered. She brought forth a son. When their neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And all those who heard them kept in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? Well, they're going to find out in a few years. And the hand of the Lord was with him, John the Baptist. Now, notice, his promise of a Savior is true. Verse 67. Now, his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord of God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn power of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth, excuse me, of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, God promised these things. He prophesied them that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him with God, without fear. Now, in the minds of many Jews, that deliverance would have been from Rome, but God had a much greater deliverance in mind. Notice, we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. They are waiting. They've been hoping. God promised he'd send a Savior. He did it. God promised house. Uh, he, would, he, would, he promised them mercy. He sent him, Jesus. His promises of what will be are all true. I want to go back over after we get through 76 here. And you, child, notice, will be called the prophet of the highest. The promises of what will be are all true. And God showed that over and over again. For you will go before the face of the Lord to repair his ways, to give knowledge of his salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. John the Baptist, let's continue in chapter, let's go back to chapter 35. That's what a child will be, John the Baptist, but here's the deal that we're celebrating. It's what a child will be Jesus of Nazareth, the babe. Verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your room and bring forth a son and, and shall call his name Jesus. Notice, he will be great. That's this child. And will be called the son of the highest. That's this babe, this, this child. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, just like he promised. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He will do that. And notice, his kingdom, there will be no end. Amen. None. You talk about the thrill of hope. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also that Holy One who is to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Not, we're not going to end there. We're going to end on this verse, one more verse. His promise, what will be, are all true. What John the Baptist will be, what Jesus will be, but notice, this is what it says in verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. 
That's what we celebrate. That's the hope that we, we have. So may the Holy Spirit impart to you this season a brand new or a renewed rejoicing in God our Savior. Paul said whatever things were written before were for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures what? Might have hope. We've just done that. And then verse 15, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, what? In believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads and let's pray a moment as I give an opportunity this morning for anyone here who's a somebody to God. We all are. You are. And you've never given your life over to God. Maybe you've heard that voice before that conscious awareness that there's something that's not right in your heart. You and God, and there's an emptiness, a loneliness. There's many things that come along with that. But God is not going to cease giving you opportunities to get your attention and to speak to you. And the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That our salvation is not in works that I do that I do or you do. It's not by making myself better. We can't do that. Our salvation is based on what God has done already for you. He sent Jesus. We're celebrating his birth. Jesus grew in grace. He went on this public scene at about age 30. And three plus years later, he was crucified on a cross, fulfilling all the promises that God gave in him dealing with the problem of sin in your life. And Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. And God now offers you salvation, but you must choose that. How do you do that? What we do on, in these invitations, just say, first of all, I ask you to raise up your hand and say, I, today, the voice of the Lord is speaking. He's got my attention. I know I need to make a choice, and I'm going to make that today. And it's the most urgent message you'll ever hear, the most important decision you'll ever make. So number one, if that's you, just raise up your hand and say, yeah, I want to say yes to Jesus today. We're praying. We're praying. In lifting your hand, I'm going to ask you to stand up because in standing up, you are responding affirmatively, saying yes, that you need your sins forgiven, that you are ready to confess to God your need for his forgiveness. You're ready to ask to fill you with his spirit and give you new life. That's what you're going to do secondly. But first, just sit, put up your hand and say, yes, I, I need to be right with God, and I'm not. I want to make my reservation in heaven, and I haven't. I want to know that when I die... God's already taken care of my future, and he has.